today on our Tech for Business podcast, Kyle, our president and CEO, and Nate, our director of cybersecurity and VCSO are joining us. And we're talking all things VPN and possibly eliminating it. So I, I'm going to throw my first question to Nate because it was kind of a conversation that we have had in the past. How did we get here? What's, what's a little bit of the background of the VPN and then how are we now here where we're talking about getting rid of it? Yeah, uh, looking just from the history of just networks in general, right? We went from organizations where it was all brick and mortar. There was really no VPNs, right? You had the mainframes, you had to come into the server room, do whatever work you needed to do. Um, then it started expanding out and um, as the mobile workforce started happening. You, you had laptops, cell phones, that type of stuff that started getting introduced. Uh, there had to be some type of way that organizations could allow employees to access those corporate resources remotely. And so that's where these VPN appliances came in. Um, so if someone is at their house or you know sitting in Starbucks or wherever, uh, they can still access the corporate resources and continue accessing all the file shares, the printers, whatever it was that they needed. Um, and now we're starting to, sorry, actually, I should take a little step back further <laughs> is, the industry has just shifted towards cloud computing, right? We mm -hmm. see things like the Office 365, uh, file shares are starting to replace with things like SharePoint and OneDrive. Um, you know, pick whatever provider you want to host your files on, Ignite, it doesn't matter. Um, but those corporate walls are being really kind of broken down. And what we're starting to see are networks that are so interconnected with these cloud services these days that the need for an actual VPN is actually diminishing, right? Um, because employees aren't necessarily always having to connect to those corporate resources. They're just going out to whatever SaaS uh, software as a solution, SaaS provider to access the data and interact with the data. Um, very little do they actually need a VPN today, although it is still what we traditionally think of for <laughs> remote access. And so that's why we wanted to call this one out today because it's been the de facto standard for remote access for 20 years, but people aren't necessarily going back and saying, do we actually still need that, right? <laughs> yeah, so I know that you were talking a little bit um, earlier about some of the risks that could come if you're you're still on this VPN and then what are some solutions? So if a, if a business wants to make that transition, what are they transitioning to? Yeah, um, some of the, the risks, um, the, the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is traditionally these VPNs have been wide open. So once you have that user put in their credentials, another you know, username and their password, um, in the past, you had full access to almost the rest of the network. I mean, you know, maybe organizations would say you can't have direct access to the servers, but you can have access to all the file shares, all the printers, all the other workstations on the environment. But it was just wide open, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, then what we saw was a, a change where you know insurance providers, everyone like that said, you need to start putting multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication in front of that because 
uh, we already know that users tend to give up their uh, passwords pretty easily. And so then once someone gets their password, you can see that the VPN exists and then someone would log right in. And that's where we saw a big spike of ransomware uh, over the last five years or so. Um, Multi-factor has greatly diminished that. Um, but we still see these VPNs kind of wide open on the back end and giving way too many uh, permissions to someone who is authenticated to that, whether or not it's a legitimate employee or a, a threat actor. So um, I I don't want to go too deep into the weeds. We can yeah. always circle back on this and talk about some use cases of security incidents, but <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe I'll turn it over to Kyle so he can talk a little bit about uh, you know either solutions or business needs that he's seen. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I think I think you covered a lot of the scenario side. It's simple, easy access side of it, but we found a lot of customers that are either not coming back and drilling down, obviously, users even with multi-factor are getting too comfortable and they're just acknowledging alerts when they call up on their phone, even though it wasn't them and getting access. So it, it's not the end-all be-all side of it. And as you mentioned, as more things are going to the cloud, you you don't have that same security access to your cloud application. So as users translate and go into, you know, um, where there's a lot of cloud applications, a lot of SaaS environment sides that are happening with it, you want that same level of security as they access those regardless of where they're at. So you want to be able to take your corporate devices and bring them into the same kind of policies and controls and, and governance and, and have visibility who's accessing what, even in these cloud environment side of it. Um, so hence these newer solutions that are coming out that are more modernized for this type of approach, things under, you know, under the CAS acronym and those other sides of those start to come into play. And, um, you know, as we look at like CIT, for example, that's what we've moved towards is predominantly cloud environment side of it. We basically have shut down internal access. We have nothing internal anymore, um, but we have a very, very uh, remote workforce. And with that side of it, we want the same level of functionality control we used to have when everybody was in a central office side of it. And those solutions give us that. And, you know, as a, as a business leader side, it allows you to ensure that you are providing security around your data, which is, you know, essentially almost everything to most organization sides of that, having the ability to put controls and governance regardless of where the data is mm -hmm. and being able to log and report if there were incidents and other things that were to occur, you want to be able to, you know, uh, have validation that it was secured. Yeah, and one of the other things that I was going to uh mentioned for the like the benefits was in the past we saw all these organizations with fairly complicated interconnected sites you know as they continue to grow um so you know sd-wan solutions or you know all that type of stuff is you know at the goal of any organization is really to grow for the most part right and so when you do that now how do you ensure that you have the ability to interconnect all these resources together um, and it becomes more and more and more complicated um, and again to the the user that's sitting in starbucks they really don't care what the architecture looks like all they want to know is that if i want to access a file share or a printer or whatever it is can i have direct access to that um, to an organization 
the risk is that now you have all your sites interconnected. So should you ever come into a case such as ransomware, everything's interconnected. That person can move around quite freely in your environment and start encrypting or affecting other systems in that environment. And so the goal that CIT had as we were transitioning towards our cloud mentality was how do we segment our sites to where if one had ever been compromised, it cannot affect the next one. And so that's what these solutions are designed to do is no longer do you need the ability to interconnect sites so you can move laterally. Or again, if you're moving towards the cloud today, you likely have a VPN tunnel up to something like Azure or another cloud service provider. But what that means is that if you're compromised on site, now you can compromise you know, your cloud resources. So how can you just bypass that altogether and keep all of these sites independent of each other while still giving the user the ability to say, I get direct access to that. Um, that's one of the big benefits. It reduces the complexity of that. Uh, Kyle, I think your number one saying is simplification, <laughs> right? Is the, yeah. the key to driving most business. Um, but that's that's really what it's designed to do, right? Yeah, it, it is a it is a it is a great benefit of that architecture by allowing the users to not have to know to do anything. You're not putting anything on the user. They're just trying to get their their job. They're trying to get access to the data set. But on the security side, we want to give them access to just what they need, not anything more. There's no reason for my laptop to talk to Nate's laptop, you know, but we, we both need access to the server and just the areas of the servers we need to talk to. So again, as Nate talks about location, it could even be my home environment. If my home device is experiencing a problem, that does not mean, you know, we want to isolate that from the entire rest of the organization and those solutions allow us to do that. And, but it's seamless. Again, to the user, they're not initiating a connection. They're not having to do any additional validation. It is essentially using, um, you know, certificate authentication and other mechanisms to create the authentications, sides onto it to create those trusted machines and then have them connect, but only the resources and locations and data points you need them to, including cloud. So that's, um, it's very dynamic, but again, updated for the way we work today, not the way we worked 20 years ago. Yeah, isn't it kind of funny that we are saying that, um, you know, there's all these risks, everything is becoming antiquated, there's less need for that. Uh, and it, it, it's really just interesting how we are continuing to, adopt technology that is increasing our risk as we continue to grow. And it's also becoming less efficient <laughs> over time because <laughs> no one's actually using those on-prem uh, on resources these days. And so it's increasing risk, less useful to the organization and um, increasing complexity overall, right? It, it mm -hmm. really doesn't make sense. Uh, which is why we wanted to really call that out is when you think of it at the grand scale, you know, it, it just, it's so antiquated. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's just bizarre to me that we just continue accepting VPNs as the de facto for remote access. I think, I think usually what we see on the trend side is, 
is again, you get comfortable with it. And it, and it's just, it's when you have to stop and then reassess and rethink, you know, what, what it is you're trying to accomplish, just because at the rate of technology, especially for us, since we live in the world side of it, we're a little more uh, accustomed to, you know, doing consistent analysis side of, of how we use technology side than a traditional business. If I were, you know, just take a vertical sector of say a manufacturer, for example, you know, they, they still tend to have a lot of on-premise systems. There's certain, you know, verticals where it just hasn't gone to other cloud services, other sides of it. Uh, they're very generally very conservative side on the rate of change side of it. And, you know, just from a cost to value, you know, there it can be difficult to do the the ROI on technology spend and making making a larger pivot side to it, even though, you know, it can make a lot of sense. So it's just Part of this is to advocate to say it may be time to do a pause and reassess. Um, and particularly why I like this subject coming out is just because of the trend we've seen with the amount of incidents that, that gets called into your team around VPN compromise, you know, it's obviously something that is, you know, the threat actors are leveraging and seeing a lot of, you know, vulnerabilities to exploit. So it's heavily being exploited, which, you know, is good reason to take pause on it and reassess, do we need it? How are we accessing it? And should we consider moving to something more modern as we go forward? Because, you know, just because you've done it this way for all the time and it may be working or appear to be working inside of it doesn't necessarily mean it is still the best solution for mm -hmm. you. And you may need to, may need to regroup. Yeah, speaking of those trends, um, you know, as, like the federal government, insurance, everyone has been pushing for things like EDR, you know, endpoint detection and response, application whitelisting, privilege access management, you know, CIT, we push that out to our customers as well. Um, but in the past, email compromises with malicious files was really one of the biggest uh, contributors to major security incidents like ransomware. Um, those tools are wildly effective, which is great news for those that are using it um, is when we rolled that out, we didn't have anyone with ransomware with those tools installed, um, which is a complete contrast to what it had in the past when a traditional antivirus was the standard and we pushed everyone forward and said, nope, this is the, the new way. It's streamlined so many uh, businesses without having those major disruptions. But now what we're starting to actually see is the uptick of Threat actors know that those tools are going to be deployed. And so what they're doing is coming in through the VPNs. And we've seen, it doesn't matter which VPN you're on, there's still uh, vulnerabilities that'll periodically pop up. Um, the the hole to be able to access that VPN is always open to the internet. So anyone across the world can essentially scan that and probe it. Um, and then you still have the user component to that with their credentials that if they give up that multi-factor code, someone can log in. And then that's when they start scanning. And there's we know that there's systems on your network that cannot support those endpoint detection response solutions. So maybe it's your network switches. Maybe it's the industrial control systems that Kyle was talking about in the manufacturing space. The TVs, they can still be compromised. They just can't run some of those tools. Um, you know, your laser systems, whatever it is that you're using for, you know, precision measuring or uh, automation. And so that's where if you can target 
the entry point to that if you can't compensate with those other controls can you just close it up completely because if you close up that hole there's nothing there to abuse necessarily right and so i always you know, use that analogy side but always reminds me of in the physical world side is when you have that service door in your garage mm-hmm. you know i always tell you there it's nice you have it for convenience so you can access the garage without having to open the the whole door side with it but you know if you talk to the public safety or the police side of it, it, that's where people break in, right? They go to that service door and then they get into the garage. And then after they get to the garage, how many people lock the garage, the house to the garage door on a regular basis? So, you know, it's a common point of entry that gets used for those break-ins. It isn't that much different. You have this point of entry that opens that sometimes it's left unlocked and it's not as secure as it needs to be, or it's kind of not even under view. Normally, there's almost like a false sense of security that gets set so it doesn't put the visibility on it like it should. And now, now that there is once they're in, they're as good as being on the entire network. And that's um, that that's where it makes it very, very difficult um, on unexpected. And that's when Nate's team gets the call after mm-hmm. it because they basically may have been in there for weeks or months just surveying um basically undetected like they're on the inside of the network but they're doing it you know on the other side of the world which is a good reason to reconsider do you need it and nate's point the the best thing you can do is eliminate the need for it altogether and essentially seal it you know so there is no possible point of entry into there greatly reduces your risk of what we know is commonly being looked to be exploited um because whether it's yeah. human error or whatnot, I mean, even as Nate said, we've seen where we have the endpoint detection response, we have the modern tools. It only takes one system for it not to be installed to create, you know, the problem. And that's what they're waiting for is the one little kink yeah. in the armor. And if they're on the inside, it becomes very, very easy for them to find that that point. It could be just a new desktop being set up for a new user that you just didn't get to the deployment. I mean, if they just have a little bit of time they can get account escalation and they essentially can get themselves keys of the kingdom pretty quick. So you really want to make sure that you're protecting those, those doors to those and other solutions with zero trust and the, and the cast side, again, getting to where your systems are not unilaterally trusting each other is, is really ultimately where you, where you need to start considering going to even in the legacy environments, just because it's all about risk reduction. It's all about, you know, Try to tie simplification with reduction in risk. That's really what what mm-hmm. we're doing with all these solutions as much as possible. Is how can we how can we minimize the the threat the threat footprint that we're that could be attacked, and and how can we try to use tools to make it as transparent to the users? So we're uh, trusting devices. We're putting certificates on devices to validate. We're using other methods to validate who the users are, but just give them limited access to what they need. What's the priority on this? I mean, is this something a business should be looking at doing tomorrow? Is it something that should be on the next year, the three-year plan? And sort of what what's available right now for them to transition to? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess in, in terms of the security stack, mm-hmm. you should have things like Number one, if you have a VPN and you don't have multi-factor already applied to that, you're behind. Uh, you, you have to have that. That's number one, right? Um, number two, 
EDR. If you don't have EDR, you're behind. <laughs> Get EDR installed. Uh, the, there's plenty of metrics out there that talk about how the, the rate of EDR adoption and all that type of stuff. It's not great at the moment for CIT. Our adoption is wildly high because we force it on everyone uh, and for good reason because it's actually providing great benefit there. Um, those are my two number uh, two recommendations is saying you have to have the multi-factor, you have to have EDR, those two things together. Um, if you have EDR, at least we get notifications saying there's someone attempting to compromise your network so we can jump on it really, really quick, right? Yeah. Um, with this, in my opinion, Kyle, feel free to override me, but <laughs> I'd say it should be on a more of a three-year plan, right? Is one year is going to be very much of a seriously consider, you know, is your infrastructure ready to support something like this? And then if there is some type of budget that you need to slip in, put it into the budget uh, because these projects, depending on the solution that you go with or, you know, the complexity or the... Um, you know, Kyle was talking very, very deep into uh, certificate management and device posture checks to see if you have something like EDR installed. Those can be pretty complicated projects. So one to three years is probably where I'd land it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely is going to depend. I mean, there's so many variables, as Nate was alluding to, and not everybody's in the same position side with it. I would think, you know, the, the takeaway side is first and foremost, assess your VPN and make sure, as Nate said, that you're putting necessary controls, you're validating user accounts. We found many of them where they have, you know, the firewalls are typically the termination devices for the VPNs where they have local accounts in the firewalls that they didn't know they had that may be exposed that could be used for authentication into these. Again, there's just a lot of points of check. Have a, you know, have a penetration test done, do some validations and review those um, very diligently to make sure that they are as locked down as possible. Um, you know, and even stepping back and assessing, do you still need it? What are they accessing when they go internally? What systems are needed for that? Um, there's, you know, with Nate talked about cloud file storage and the other sides, you know, between the Microsoft OneDrive SharePoint, your your Google Drive and other scenario sides, there's a lot of, if you can move your clouds, you know, your file storage to those cloud drives, not only do you get easier mobility and easier work for your users and easier collaboration, you also can maybe shut down the VPN because that's primary reason we see is they need to access files. Mm -hmm. um, shared, you know, that that file share that is is very commonly what it's there for. And just by making a modernization of your file shares into cloud storage, not only do you can you forego and get rid of the VPN, you you can enable a lot more collaborations, a lot more robust uh, tools, and and see productivity improvement with your workforce too. So, again, small steps, but they everything's interconnected, you know. So there's definitely a bigger discussion that comes into it. Um, as we looked through our journey, went through it. I mean, we had to go to a new ERP and do the cloud file, you know, migration of our user shares and in home drives of all those things. So there was a lot of we assessed what needed to happen to make that a possibility, and then we executed that over a number of years. Mm -hmm. So it is, as Nate alluded to, it is it can be a multi-year, but like anything, I think you should have a planned approach of where where you want to be and then start working backwards, you know? Mm -hmm. So you start figuring out where would go and then, you know, do the things that get you the biggest return for the business first. 
you know, for us, it was the file shares because that that enables a lot of capability, a lot of collaboration. And I think if you talk to anybody at workforce, why we're doing it, that all seemed like it was, boy, this is going to be tough. But I don't, we couldn't envision working without it. I mean, it is it is it is a, a pillar in the way we operate today. And lo and behold, as we hit a pandemic, we were already in that in that yeah. mode. So it 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 paid it paid in spades at that point. So I mean, that was. <laughs> That was just a, a pure blessing coming out of that side of it. But I mean, it just starts to show things that can come by moving the, the technology needle and, and be able yeah. to take advantage of some of these tools. Yeah. The, the one thing that I maybe wanted to add right here is um, talking about user impact, because we've talked a lot about, you know, the risks, the needs, the, you know, Kyle talked about how moving a lot of this stuff to either the cloud or, you know, but for those that are still needing that VPN altogether, user experience, right? Because I know mm -hmm. that for these IT leaders that are listening going, I don't want to listen to users complain that now they can't access files or it's going to be more complicated, that type of stuff. Um, in my opinion, these VPNs are actually more complicated than the alternative. And the reason why is when you have a VPN, they're often set with an expiration policy. So you get a max hours of, let's say it's four hours, eight hours, 10 hours, uh, whatever your policy is. So someone, they get into the VPN, they have to go put in their you know, username, their password. Uh, we took the next step and said, no, well, now you need multi-factor. Now they're putting in their multi-factor. Um, what happens when they go to lunch? Their computer goes to sleep, it kills the VPN connection, they come back, they have to do it all over again. Uh, and same thing, maybe they went off to the bathroom real quick, have to do it again. Uh, and so these VPNs have actually become cumbersome and it's just constant, you know, reattempts to the VPN to maintain access to these files. If you had an application or a file that was open on the file share, well, now it's locked on the back end. So it's not a great user experience. What these new VPN appliances are, uh, sorry, not VPN appliances, but VPN solutions are um, doing are they just maintain persistence uh, for that session. And so typically you have an application installed. It just makes the connection and there's no hole in the firewall. It auto negotiates, you know, via a cloud route. And when someone wants to log in, oftentimes you can configure these to say, you're good for a full day, a week, a month. I you know you could go longer if you really wanted to, but you could say, because we know that you're coming in from a trusted device, we know you have the proper security tools on it, we're not gonna kill your session every four hours or something, right? Uh, the, the application will auto renegotiate that connection without having to do all that multi-factor again. So for the end user, they access the file share and it just opens. They need to navigate to whatever the um, QuickBooks folder or application it just opens, right? And so the user experience is actually significantly better, um, you know, and then maybe once a week or once a day or once a month, whatever the policy says, it prompts up a new page, says, please reconnect to the, the VPN alternative solution. They do that and they're good for another duration, right? So it's actually really empowering to the end users that they don't have to constantly re-authenticate. Yeah, I think what you're saying, we validate, we see it in our support desk on the amount of tickets that come in on VPN-related troubleshooting for end users. So 
we, you know, we we definitely can can confirm that it's a, a hindrance to user productivity, 100%. So if you can, again, make that a seamless transition, whether you go to a cloud file share, which in my opinion, that would be the ideal method nowadays to do it. Um, but even even so, these other solutions, even if it's still on-prem, can give you other ways to create the validations and increase the security and logging and and limit the accessibility to not just the whole network, but just what's needed, and then be able to log an account and continuously you know, provide some additional security and scanning if something unusual starts to occur, like high data exfiltration, other things like these things that the threat actors like to seem to want to do, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you can get some earlier indications of, of compromise. So, so those those wires get tripped earlier, and you can move on it. You don't find mm -hmm. out after the after the fact, months after the fact, or weeks after the fact, and then you got a bigger, bigger issue to deal with. Yeah, the one other thing, just for business leaders, um, is talking about how you want to pay for these remote access, right, is um, your typical VPN appliance tends to fall more into that uh, CapEx, right, is you got to go buy your VPN appliance, whatever it is, whether it's a firewall, like with a VPN built into it, a dedicated fire uh, VPN appliance, you know, maybe let's say you're going to go spend $1,200, $4,000, whatever it is, plus all the licensing for that, and then you have to go amortize that you know, before you go replace it again. With these other solutions, they tend to be software related. And so you can kind of really just bundle that in. And it's usually per user pricing. So if you say, I know that I have 25 employees, 50 employees, 75 employees, now you're almost turning that more into that OPEX expense, saying it's predictable pricing because I know that if the company scales, it's going to scale with me, right? And so no longer do you have to say, I need to go purchase these big beefy appliances, you know, is what's the value behind that? Um, so very, very predictable pricing uh, as your company is potentially growing as well. Yeah, all those other cloud, you know, solution benefits start to come into play with it. And as well with, again, it's another reason and we can get probably get into another podcast side with the solution sides of it, with the security, how quickly it changes and how, how, um, how the threat actors seem to, you know, find find the kinks and they keep moving to do target sides with it. Having these solutions that are continuously in development that don't require, again, a new capital expenditure, a deployment schedule, a disruption to your user sides of it that are continuously, you know, deploying new features and new updates all the time. Because, you know, you, you need to have these things rapidly changing along with, the way the world is changing. And, and that no longer is a five-year cycle. I mean, it's, you know, it's more like six, five, six months. I mean, it's in months and moving to weeks down to days the, at the rate things are are changing where it needs to be able to continuously evolve. And on-premise on solutions and one and done purchases and then amortize it over a period of years and in technology is becoming very, very, you know, difficult to do just because of that, because it's just changes so rapid. It doesn't mm -hmm. static. It still works for servers and hardware for performance and in storage, of course, 
but in certain software functionality, there's a distinct advantage. And on something that is perimeter facing and has the criticality of access to your systems and networks and all your data, it's it's a mm -hmm. big, big component of, of your risk that, that you just do not want to ignore for five years. This this is going to be a tangent, but it's going to directly, uh, well, I, again, the tangent, it's going to ride exactly what you're talking about. Um, U.S. military, uh, right? So the, the way that they typically operate is they build the best hardware out there. Uh, and so what they do is they work with these major prime contractors, build the best potential hardware. And then what that does is when you have the best, you know, F-35 or whatever it is, you are now the leader and the most secure nation, essentially, right? Um, and no one wants to really mess with you for the last next 10 years or so, right? But as those technology advancements continue to grow of the other uh, nations, your technology starts to fall behind. And so what Lockheed Martin and you know the, the US government are starting to talk about is, let's still keep that same hardware advancement, but let's bring in the software component of it as well into kind of like a subscription where they can continually add these new security features on the fly. And so to Kyle's point is to stay on the bleeding edge of your security for your organization or your nation, right? Hardware is not the solution. It's software because it's so rapid and it changes so fast. And so what Lockheed and some of these other uh, prime contractors are trying to do is say, rather than those 10 year, you know, um, periods, can we change the landscape every six months to stay one step ahead? And that's really what we're also talking about today. Mm -hmm. right? So we already see the government doing that. <laughs> um, and we know that the government tends to be slow. Um, and they're actually the ones that are leading the charge on that, at least in the military complex, though. That's because of the risk. I mean, it's a huge risk. The the ROI is there. I mean, that is, uh, you know, they, that you can't afford to ignore that over a period of time. That that's a huge uh, mm -hmm. advantage to have the technology to withstand a cyber attack. I mean, that's how it's getting handled. I mean, you hear of the breaches all the time where they're, you know, I could imagine the frequency of attacks on the U.S. government. I mean, it's yeah. it's got to yeah. be insane. <laughs> um, but to get the to get you know get a similar methodology though to the small to medium space it certainly doesn't have the budget of the US government and especially in our department of defense um not make any way on the planet has that kind of budget outside of them um you know i think as you get to um you know be able to fractionalize and find to find find the fractional way to get access to just very good technology have experts you know that you can know are designing and can go deeper and understand and stay up on these newer threats and also have the shared visibility of the threats because again the aggregate view of what's happening across mm -hmm. you know thousands of customer sides of those gets tremendous insights for these providers into the trends as we talked about we've seen you know the uptick on the VPN things you know scale that out into you know hundreds of thousands of 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 endpoints and customers it, you know it, you get tremendous visibility into what's trying to be exploited and allows you to protect it so there's there's a community sharing and benefit of that shared knowledge pool that also helps reduce mm -hmm. the risk. So there's a lot of lot of really good reasons to to trust these 
cloud security solutions sides of it because again it's it's very very difficult and it's it's asking a lot of, of your on-site IT ex experts and other sides that are generally very very good IT people but again it's so rapidly changing you know to go it alone or in a very small group is is asking a lot um you know it's just you just can't do it in this landscape you need to have Again, you need to have some fractional access and, and do it as a as a shared mechanism is really the best approach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a that's a great place to end. Um, start these conversations now, you know. It it takes time to to assess what you need, what you have. So definitely start looking at it today. Um, thank you, Kyle and Nate, for joining us. Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. If you have a question or a topic you'd like us to discuss, reach out to us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com slash podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode.